In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So as we said last time, we're going to be starting a series speaking about the Orthodox Afterlife, and it is based on this book called Orthodox Afterlife. Um, we ordered some books. Um, they haven't arrived yet, but God willing, next time there will be some books, maybe one per family, um, if we have enough. Um, if, you ha if you don't have the book and you're interested in reading it, um, you, can, you can take the book next time. Um, it's a very uh, interesting book, as I mentioned before. Um, it takes into account uh, different sources to try to explain. You know, as we said, um, you know, the, the only thing we know about God is what he reveals to us. There isn't anything we can do to investigate. There isn't anything we can do to investigate anything that he hasn't said to us. And actually, there's examples in the scripture. For instance, when God is revealing to Daniel the prophet about all of these things that are going to happen in the future, and Daniel asks God, when are these things going to happen? And then God responds, and he says, go your way, Daniel. Like, this isn't for you to know, you know. So there's a lot of things that are, that are, that are mysteries, and things that God really didn't reveal for us to understand. So the goal here is not that we're trying to speculate and to think about things that are beyond our understanding, because certainly not every question that we might have is going to have an answer that we can readily point to. But there is a lot of evidence, right? So there's evidence of things that God reveals to us in the scripture. There's evidence of things that the church fathers have taught. And there's also evidence based on real life experiences of people. So this is really the, the basic structure that we're going to speak about. This will be over the next several weeks. So it'll be introduction. We'll speak about death itself. What is death? Um, there's something called the crossing over, which is what happens after death, immediately after death. Um, we'll speak about Hades, and we'll speak about paradise, then we'll speak, speak about how one of the, the main stories actually in this book of like recounting an event that happened actually had a second chance. He saw this, and then he was able to return to his body and have a second chance. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, it says, To make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. This mystery, right, which has from the beginning been hidden, right, when we speak about the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the mystery of the incarnation, a lot of these things were hidden. Like, people didn't understand them. Even, even the prophets who wrote a lot of these prophecies, they didn't understand what it is that they were prophesying about. But now the manifold wisdom of God might be known in the church, right? So we, we see in the New Testament, the Scripture, we see in the writings of the church fathers, we see a lot of things being revealed. The afterlife is a mystery, right, to all of us. And like I said, we don't seek answers by speculation, but we rely on revelation. And there's, the references are the scripture, the fathers of the church, and the accounts of those who had near-death near experiences. I just mentioned that. Um, how should we read these accounts? Because a lot of times, if you go on YouTube and you search for near-death experiences, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. And you're going to find things from people who are not Christians at all, or Orthodox, or you know, all kinds of things. How do we know what to believe and what not to believe? So... The first thing is, whatever contradicts the scripture, we can immediately discount it. We know for sure that the scripture is true. And as I said, this is the revelation of God to us. So if there's any story that we hear about 
that contradicts the scripture, we can immediately say this is false. Just because somebody had some experience or some vision or something that they're coming to us and saying, this is what I experienced, we can't just accept everything, right? If something contradicts scripture, then it is discounted. Everything that is spiritually beneficial can be considered for spiritual reflection and meditation. The goal here is not to, you know, come up with 100% uh, certainty about what it is, you know, what is death after, you know, what, what does death look like? What happens after death? We cannot come up with 100% certainty. We can kind of consider some of the things that people have said and some of the similarities and the things that do not contradict scripture and the things that are in line with orthodox faith, and we can meditate on such things. Because a big part of what we are doing here is not to try to answer this question to fulfill our curiosity. What we are trying to do is to answer this question to the best of our ability so that it can affect the way that we live. So that I can look at these experiences and I can think to myself, maybe one day this will be me. <laughs> one day for sure it will be me. One day for sure I will be going through this process. And the more that I meditate on it and think about it now, maybe it will help me to prepare for that day. This book, it focuses on the shared collective heritage of the Catholic and Orthodox churches before the Great Schism. So the Great Schism is um, the schism between uh, the, um, the, the, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. Okay, this is in the year 1054. So everything that is focused on in this book happens before this schism happened. So at that time, there was two branches of orthodoxy, the Oriental Orthodox and the Eastern Orthodox, which for the most part had fundamentally the same faith and belief. Um, so, so this is the, the focus um, of the book. Um, and it also focuses on Christians who have been relating afterlife experiences. Now, there have been stories um, that were related, related to afterlife near-death experiences for, for years and years and years for a long time. But to a large extent, these so stories have been forgotten, like they've faded from, from our memories or our collective consciousness. Um, and so we can look at these stories as they provide details about the afterlife and are largely in agreement with Scripture and the Church Fathers. As I said, we are not here to simply satisfy our curiosity, but to be alert, to be ready for Christ's second coming. In Matthew 25, verse 13, it says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And this is what we are trying to stir ourselves to do. We all know that this is true. But, but when you read some of these stories, um, it kind of motivates us. It reminds us of the reality of life after death and what is it like in order for us to be ready for it. Okay, first point um, which is what we're going to focus on today, is we're going to focus on the death itself. Uh, in Hebrews 4.1, it says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Meaning what? Meaning that we are preparing ourselves to enter his rest, and this is how we should see death. Oftentimes we look at death as a frightful and scary thing, something that we want to avoid, something we want to run away from, something that if we could wish it away or prolong our life, we would do so. Um, of course, we see in the lives of people that are close to us or family members or friends, we know that death is a very painful thing. It can be painful for the person who is experiencing it and maybe all the events leading up to it. And of course, it's painful for those who are left behind that then miss this person who was once with them and is now no longer with them. So so really, all of us have the sense of that death is 
something bad, something we don't want, something we avoid and something we want others to avoid because we want to all remain together, right? We, we don't want to lose anyone. We want to be remain together. We want our families to remain intact. We want our friends to stay around. We want people to be together because we love them, right? But when you look at things from the perspective of God, right, from the perspective of God, there is no separation. There is no separation because we speak about ourselves as being the struggling church because we are the church that is on earth still struggling. And we speak about those who have went on to heaven as being the victorious church. So we are still one church. We are still one family. And, and we will still know each other even when we go to the next life. We will know one another. We, there will be no separation. The separation is in our mind. The separation is um, a, a, a kind of because our senses tell us that there is a separation, not because there is a true separation. And if we think about all of this from the spiritual perspective, we would see death as being what rest. Death is, is something to be desired. It is not something to run away from or to flee from. And if we can come to terms with this, that death is actually something to be desired, in the sense that it is something that leads us closer to God, it is something that reunites us with our family members, those who have died, it is, it is something that leads us to eternal joy and a place where grief, sorrow, and groaning have fled away, and it leads us to everything good, then we wouldn't look at death in the same way. We would see that death is actually like the, the, the thing that we have been preparing for all along and that finally we have graduated. We have reached the goal. We have reached the end where now we are reaping the rewards that God has promised us. So what is death? Death is the separation of the spirit from the body. So we believe that there is a body and we believe that there is spirit, right? If you speak to those who are materialists, who believe that the only thing that exists is the physical, then they do not believe in the, in the human spirit. They don't believe in the soul. They believe that everything is only made up of the physical, right? And that what we consider consciousness is just in your brain, right? And that's all. There is nothing else. Um, a second century Christian apologist, his name is Athenagoras, he, he said this. He said, Upon death, the separation of the soul from the members of the body interrupts the continuity of life, after which the soul remains by itself incapable of dissolution, of dispersion, of corruption, while the body is corrupted and dissolved. So what keeps our spirits here? It is the life of the body. When, when God created us, he created us to be both a body and spirit. But when the body dies, the spirit continues to live. The spirit is not limited by the body. So when the body dies, the spirit is now like released, like it is released from being part of the body, and now it is free to go to God. The body remains important even after death, right? Just because the body dies, we do not believe that the body is somehow corrupted to the point where it is useless. Actually, there was uh, a sect at the time of the New Testament called the Gnostics. The word Gnostics comes from the word Gnosis, which means knowledge. And this group of people, they believed that they had some secret special knowledge about uh, the eternal life, uh, apart from uh, what the Christians were preaching. And they believed that the physical world was evil. You know, they believed the body was evil, inherently evil, and that nothing physical could be good. But actually, we believe that God created us to be in body and spirit together. And actually, when, when God 
created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. He, he created them with, with a body and a spirit. We are unique creatures in the sense that we are the only creatures whom God has given both a body and a spirit. Animals have a body and no spirit. Angels have spirit and no body. But we have both body and spirit, which makes us pretty complicated in that sense, right? Because we have the needs of the body, like we have to eat and drink and so on. And we also have the needs of the spirit, which is communion with God. But the body is not evil. The God created the body for good. So which is why, okay, we believe that at the, at the last day, there is a resurrection of the body. That today our bodies die and they are buried, but this body will be reconstituted again. We read about um, many verses that speak about the importance of the body after death. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees a vision where he sees all of these dead bones. And Ezekiel asks, he's saying, can these bones live again? You know, can all these dead bodies live again? And this is what God says to Ezekiel. He says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Also in Isaiah 26, it says, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. This is, again, speaking about the final resurrection of the bodies that will happen at the last day. Also in Philippians chapter 3, it says, Who will also transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is even, he's able even to subdue all things to himself. So just because the body dies, we don't discard it. This is actually why in Christianity we do not cremate the body, Right? Those who cremate the body consider now the body is, is useless. It is dead in the sense that it is not being used anymore. Obviously, the person is not alive in his body anymore, and the body is discarded, has no purpose. Okay? In orthodoxy, we do not uh, discard the body. Actually, even when we bury a, a person, we bury them if possible. We bury them so that they are facing east. Because we believe that the Lord will come from the east when he comes again in his, in his glory. So it is as though, symbolically, of course this isn't literal, but it is as though symbolically the person, when the Lord comes, will simply stand up and he'll be facing the Lord when he comes. Right? So we take great care of the body. We treat the body with a lot of reverence, even after death, because we believe that this body will be alive again. What are the characteristics of the body? after resurrection in mark 12 it says when they rise from the dead they are like angels in heaven and in luke 20 those who are accounted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage nor can they die anymore for they are equal to the angels and are sons of god being sons of the resurrection meaning that the body when it rises it will not be the same kind of body that was sown and actually, St. Paul speaks about this when he says there are, there are bodies of different types, right? And he says the glory of one kind of body is different than the other. For instance, he says even in the physical world, right? You have, for instance, uh, the, the nature of a planet versus the nature of a star. You have the terrestrial bodies and the celestial bodies. He speaks about the difference between the two. So even though 
we think about the body, when we think of body, we think of ourselves, we think of, we understand what the concept of a body is. But the type of body that we will receive, the resurrected body, the glorious body that we will receive in the, in the, last, a, in the last day, will be of a different nature, and it will not be subject to all the weaknesses and the things that our current bodies have. What happens after death? Once a person's spirit is released upon death, it has to pass from this limited world to another invisible realm. After that, the spirit is sent temporarily to either of two places, Hades or Paradise, to await God's judgment, after which time a new heaven will come into existence while the first heaven will have passed away. So we believe that there are, today, before the end of the world, there are two destinations, right, that, that the spirit can go. It either will go to paradise or will go to Hades. Those who are judged by God to be worthy, okay, will go to paradise. And the paradise is a waiting place. The paradise is not heaven yet, right? Sometimes we use the word heaven to refer to it, right? But technically it is not heaven. It is called paradise. And and Hades is, is also, like, sometimes we refer to it as hell, but hell is a distinct place from Hades. So today, whenever anyone dies, they either go to, he uh, to paradise or to Hades. And then at the last day, this is when those who are in paradise will go to the kingdom of heaven, all united together as the bride of Christ, and those who are in Hades will go to hell. So this uh, paradise and Hades is a waiting place. It is a place of waiting for the end to come, waiting for the judgment day. Also, we believe that, and this is clear from many of the stories that we, were, we were read about, that there is something that happens to a person after death, right? It is not an instantaneous uh, trans transition from I'm, you know, I'm in my body and then suddenly I'm in paradise. There is a journey that takes place, okay? Where, where, where the soul of a person is taken from the, the earth where the person died up to paradise. And we're going to read about, about some of these examples um, and talk about that in a little bit. Um, those who are in paradise will be allowed to live in this new permanent pl uh, place of bliss, which we call heaven. Those who have been waiting in Hades, whose names are not found written in the book of life, who are worthy of eternal condemnation, will be cast into the lake of fire, which is appropriately termed hell and is regarded as the second death. And here are the references if you want to read more about that, right? So in the book of Revelation, it speaks about the, the, the lake of fire. The lake of fire is something that um, people will be thrown into it, those who are eternally condemned, at the last day. So the lake of fire is not for now. The lake of fire is for later on. This final judgment which often is referred to as the last day or the second coming. Okay, we read about it, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So technically the judgment day does not happen immediately now when we die. The judgment day happens at the end. It's kind of like saying, you know, like if you have a person who is a prisoner, who committed a crime, and it is clear that the cr he committed the crime. But he f he's waiting in jail for a time until it is his court date for him to go and be sentenced, right? F for there to actually be um, a judgment against him. It's the same idea, right? Those who are wicked are going to like a waiting place. They are, they, they are, we know they're guilty, 
right? But the judgment hasn't been, hasn't been pronounced yet on them. And their final place where they're going to go is not pronounced. The same is true with the righteous. The righteous go to a waiting place, and that waiting place, they're waiting until the judgment, and then the judge will send them to their final resting place, okay? Ecclesiastes 12.14, it says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is the judgment. Also, we believe that, you know, of course, this idea of judgment is very frightening. You know, can you imagine you're standing before God and he is judging us according to what? Everything that we have done, whether good or bad. But we believe that, and this is when we speak about repentance and confession, because the Lord said that any sin that we confess, he forgets, right? He says, I will remember your sins no more. So how is it that a judge is going to judge us according to our sins, when at the same time he says that he will remember our sins no more? It is because truly that on that judgment day, he will not remember any of our sins that we confessed. And this tells us the importance of confession. So that if I were have confessed all of my sins and I stand before the judge, he will find no fault in me. Right? He will find in me nothing, nothing to blame me for, because every sin I committed I have confessed. And this is the 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 beauty of the sacrament of confession, that it allows us to be redeemed and to for God to forget all of our sins. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. It gives me a chance to breathe while you're talking. The unforgiving servant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. I can't say I know the answer to that, but um, I try not to think of it in such a transactional kind of way. You know, like even in, in, our, in our world, the judge, he takes into account many things, right? Why is there even a judge? Like, why isn't the law enough? You know, like, you could imagine that if you had a law that was comprehensive enough, that the law would be sufficient in order to judge just by the law but because there is no law that can take into account every exception and everything and every thought and every action and everything that we do there is a judge and the judge is fair so the judge looks at us and he looks at our actions okay i can't say in a in that transactional kind of sense for sure that okay if i don't forgive someone for a sin uh what does that actually mean well, let me ask it this way. Let's say there's a sin that I haven't confessed. So what does that mean? Is God going to condemn me because there's one sin that I haven't confessed? I can't say that's the case, right? How many sins, you know, uh, that he would find in order for him to decide and judge that I would go here or here? I can't answer that either. 
how if I if I am not forgiving someone from my heart, does that mean that God is not forgiving how many of my sins? All of my sins? I don't know. We we can't put ourselves in the position of the judge and know the outcome. Even just as in this world, right? Like when there's a case that's very complicated and has all these different factors. By the end, when the judge is going to say his decision, people don't know what he's going to say, right? Like they don't understand his mind. They don't understand how he is weighing all these different factors together in order to make a judgment. So certainly if that's the case with human beings, it is definitely the case with God, right? We can't put ourselves in the place of God and say, we know how God is going to judge in a specific situation. All we can do is live to the best of our ability according to what God has said, and we leave the judgment to him. This is why even St. Paul says, I cannot judge myself. Like, we don't know how to judge ourselves even. How is it that God is going to look at our specific, you know, uh, sins that we are committing, whether it be the sin of unforgiveness, the sins of lust, the sins of anger, the sin, whatever sins, right? How is God going to look at all of these and together for each individual person? It's very hard for us to know. All we know is that God told us to repent. And whatever sin that I am aware of, I repent of and I ask God to forgive me. And whatever sins I am not aware of, we even ask God to forgive me the sins that I don't even, I'm not even aware of, right? And in this is the best we can do. But none of us can say without any, you know, with 100% assurance that we are going to go to God and we're going to tell him, I'm fine, I'm good, you know, I've done everything right. We can't. Actually, that was the mistake that Job made, right? Even though Job was a righteous man, and yet he acted righteous. He, he acted as though he knew he was righteous. And it is for this that he was rebuked. Even though he hadn't made any mistake, even though he hadn't sinned, it was just the sin of being so confident and sure of himself that was his sin, right? This is why in the church, when we, we pray, like maybe the thing that we pray the most in any liturgy or any liturgical prayer is, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy all the time. I feel like I am in the need of the mercy of God because I will never be good enough. I will never be certain of how good I am. And there are sins that maybe I'm not even aware of. One of the most frightening things, you know, the frightening rebukes that Christ gave in the scripture is when he said to people, he said, what you say to me, Lord, Lord, you know, uh, you know, these are people who are praying to, to God and, and, and doing service in the church and doing all these things, and, the, and yet the Lord says, get away from me, I never knew you. So these are people who are not clearly away from God. These are not people who are strangers to God. These are people who are calling out to the, to the name of the Lord and saying, Lord, Lord, right? But he said, what? I never knew you, right? And so we have to be very serious in our lives so as not to be these people. So as not to be the people that even though we come to church and we do those things, and yet God would look at us and say, I never knew you. Again, like, I'm not trying to say this to frighten anyone, right? I'm trying to say this to be like, we have to be serious, right? We have to be attentive to our life. We do our best to repent. We do our best to do according to God's will. But in the end, he is the judge. And none of us, and that's the thing on this day, is there will be no defense, right? We don't have anyone, like, he, God is not going to have a conversation about this. You know, we're not going to have a chance to defend ourselves. Maybe in, in the world, we often are giving defenses of ourselves, and this defense, we are trying to explain our actions. On this day, there will be no defense. God knows everything. God knows me better than I know myself, and he will declare a judgment, right? We have faith in the mercy of God. 
We have faith in his goodness. We have faith that, you know, he says, I do not want the wicked to perish, but rather that he return and live. God does not want to destroy us. God does not want to give us even according to our sins. This is why we ask for God's mercy. This is why we believe that we are covered by the blood of Christ, because he does not give us what we deserve. So I am not trying to paint a picture here, saying that every mistake that we make, God is going to point it out and say, because of this, you are going to perish. But he looks at our intention of our heart, right? How does God see me, right? Yes, if I have a problem of unforgiveness, then that'll be something that God holds against me. But I can't say for certain what that exactly means in terms of forgiveness of other sins and which sins and which not. I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> as far as waiting for the final judgment, some of the church fathers also say something about this um, in terms of waiting in 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 Hades or Paradise for the final judgment. St. John Chrysostom, he says, Judas, who gave him uh, up, descended into the depths of Hades. There he shall remain unto the end in anticipation of great grief and lament. So he's saying that Judas went to Hades and he is in anticipation. He is waiting there until the final judgment to go to hell. St. Irenaeus, he said, each class of those who have died receives a habitation such as it has deserved even before the judgment, right? The judgment at the last day, they are, they are receiving some waiting place. They're in some place waiting, right, until that final judgment happens. Uh, St. Cyprian, he says, the spirits of those who die will be in suspense or uncertainty until the sentence of God at the day of judgment. Tertullian he says, we maintain that after life has passed, you still remain in existence and anticipate a day of judgment. Furthermore, according to what you deserve, you are assigned either to misery or to bliss. Yes. I, I, I don't, I, I think this is just uh, like maybe trying to find like the appropriate word of, trans, of translation. It is not uncertainty in the sense that we don't know. Like, for instance, if a person is in paradise, you're definitely going to heaven, right? Yes, yes. Paradise is a, is a place of joy, you know. Paradise is not just another earth. It is a place of joy, right? And those who are in paradise have that joy and in anticipation and knowing that they are going to the kingdom of heaven, yes. Um, but the word suspense meaning they are waiting, you know, they're not there yet. The other thing I want to mention Sometimes we think about heaven or paradise, the afterlife, and we're trying to imagine what it would be like. And maybe we're imagining that we are some kind of disembodied spirits where we are kind of in an ether floating around, and that's not the truth, right? Just as we are individuals here, just as we are aware of ourselves and our self-conscience, and we are living and moving and have will and conscience and, and able to make decisions and choices, so also we will be there. We will be people walking and moving. And, 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 and actually, I, one time I was talking with Amba Yusuf, and he said, we will even have occupations, right? We will even have positions. Look at the angels. Each angel has a job, right? For instance, we see about Archangel Gabriel that he is the messenger. He is the one who goes and, and, and gives news to people. That was, that was his, that's the thing. That's why, he, that's why we call him the messenger. Archangel Michael, he is the head of the heavenly. We call him the, he's like the head of all the heavenly hosts. Each angel has a job. Look at all the guardian angels. We believe that each person has a guardian angel. So God gives jobs to the angels. 
He gives them roles, things to do. He will give us also things to do, right? Maybe the things that we will be doing in, in the afterlife is completely different than the things that we are doing here. And I can't say I can tell you what those are. But the idea that we are still people, we are still human, right? This is how God created us to be in body and spirit from the beginning. And we will also have, at the time of, the, of paradise and Hades, we will only be spirit because our bodies are dead. But after the judgment, there will be a general resurrection where every person, whether you are going to heaven or to hell, you will be re reunited with your body again. And we will live eternally with our body and our spirit together. So we are individuals. We are people. We will know each other by name. We will understand. We will, we will, be, we will be able to think. We'll have like, just like we are interacting now, we will also be able to interact then. Yes. No, no. I mean, of course, God can, God can resurrect a body in any state. I mean, let's say you have someone who, you know, died in a war, and their body was completely incinerated. Does that mean God cannot restore? No, of course He can restore. The idea of us not cremating is a reflection of our belief. It is not to say that, you know, if we cremated someone, then then somehow that person is not going to be resurrected. It's a, it's a, it's a reflection of our belief that the body is valuable, that the body will be restored again, and so we keep the body whole, right? Yes. No, we support organ donation. Yeah. I mean, either, either way, the organs are going to dissolve one way or the other. Organ donation is a service that we are giving to other people, so we support organ donation. Yeah. Yes. No. Right? So the, the, the idea of God sending a person to paradise or to Hades, right? This is a reflection of his judgment upon them, of where their ultimate destination is going to be. So there is no way, there is no, there is no second chance. This is why we speak so much about being alert, for we do not know the day or the hour. We don't know the day or the hour of when our death is going to be, because after death, there is no place for repentance anymore. And actually, I don't remember if I have it here in this presentation, or um, I, was, I was reading it uh, somewhere else, maybe in some of the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Let me put it this way. A person who dies in a state of unrepentance um, will not repent, even after death. It is not that a person is repenting and that God is not having mercy on that person, right? The devil, for instance, right? The devil is in a state of unrepentance, right? He is not, he is not repenting. This is why we do not believe in the salvation of the devil. There is actually some people, some of the, the writers in the church, that had spoken about this idea of the repentance of the devil and that maybe one day he would repent and then God would accept him. We don't, we don't believe this because we believe that he has made his choice and there is no coming back from this choice. Similarly with human beings, a person who dies in a state of unrepentance will remain in that state and cannot cross over from one place to the other. Actually, this is clear from the, the story of um, Lazarus and the rich man. Okay, Lazarus and the rich man, uh, this story... That um, 
the story is is that this rich man was was wicked and he refused to help Lazarus who was this poor man that would beg at his door and they both died and um and then he is this rich man he is in Hades and Lazarus the the beggar he is in paradise okay and the 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 rich man he he is speaking now to uh Abraham I believe uh and and he's saying to him um, there and, and Abraham is saying there is a gulf between us. There is like a there's like a big distance between us, so that one person cannot cross over from one place to the other. So so that idea of a person cannot cross is is clear even from the scripture. Yes. So we're asking that God. So the the thing with the funeral prayer is that. Everything that happens in the afterlife is beyond time. Okay? And that's very important for us to understand. The, the, the eternal life is not according to the time that we are thinking about. Okay? So any prayer that we pray on earth for a person, God will answer at whatever time he pleases. So, for instance, I might pray for the forgiveness of a person who has died. Maybe God answers that prayer before they died. Right? This is a big reason why even when we pray for the departed in general, right? People who ask, well, what is, that, what is that doing? One is that, that it's out of time. Also, there are writings that speak about how a person who had one of these near-death experiences experienced comfort when others on earth were praying for them. Again, I mean, our information about it is limited, right? So, so we believe that God answers the prayer in some way or the other. Okay, but it is not a prayer of moving from one place to another. It's not like a prayer that if a person had gone to Hades, that because we're praying that God forgive him her sins, that he's going to go to paradise. We don't believe that. Okay. I think we are out of town. Yes. We do have decision-making, but it doesn't mean that we can fall short because we will have been perfected, right? Think about Christ. Did Christ have free will? He had free will, okay? But he didn't make any mistakes or failures or sins, right? We will be sanctified, right, through, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. So every thought, every action we do will be pure, but it doesn't take away our free will, right? It doesn't take away who we are. It doesn't take away our individuality, right? So yes, we will be able to, we, we are not going to become robots. Actually, if we were, then that means that God is taking something away. One of the unique things about us as human beings is that we were made in the image of God. And to be made in the image of God, it means that we have the characteristics of God. And one of the major characteristics of God is free will. This is actually why, we, why Adam and Eve were able to fall is because they had free will. This is actually a gift that God had given to them, this gift of free will. We will still have free will. We will not be robots, but we will desire righteousness. We will desire goodness. We will not be plagued with the corruption of the flesh. We will not be subject to temptation, but we, but we will still have free will to choose, to decide. Okay? All right. God willing, next time we will continue. Um...
uh, yeah, we still have a lot, a lot left to go. Okay. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We thank you, O Lord, for remem reminding us during this time of the resurrection of the life that you have prepared for us to live in heaven. We thank you, O God, because you have placed before us this reward that we might meditate on it and think about it and wait patiently, O Lord, to receive it. Help us, O Lord, to be alert and watchful and to see this as a goal and a target for each one of us that we might keep it always in our mind and work toward it, O Lord, even to the end. Thank you for your mercy upon us. Grant us, O Lord, your peace and forgive us our sins and have mercy on our weakness, O Lord, and grant us, O Lord, that all the sins that we commit against you are forgiven and take away from us, O Lord, any corruption of the flesh. Take away from us, O Lord, any bad habits. Take away from us, O Lord, anything that is contrary to your law and anything that is unpleasing to you. Help us, O God, to, to walk in purity and righteousness and grant us, O Lord, the, the gift of your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us to your heavenly kingdom. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.